Hello and welcome to episode 39 of When Life Gets Your Lemons, Go Vegan. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. We have had so, well, <laughs> 38 episodes, but so many, like listing the conditions that people have managed to recover from, reverse, heal from. Conditions such as lupus, like these are incurable diseases such as ulcerative colitis, multiple sclerosis, heart disease, breast cancer. We've had rheumatoid arthritis. We've had polycystic ovarian syndrome, interstitial cystitis, asthma, eczema, constipation, IBS. We've had endometriosis. We have had so many. Go back. If this is your first ever episode that you've arrived upon, go back because there is something for everyone in your whole family. (laughs) If you're sitting at home going, oh, you know, I have a history. I'm stuck with this disease because my grandpa had heart disease and my great grandpa and my aunt, my uncle and my auntie, my mom and all these doctors that come on this show, you know, everyone is now talking about how we might have, you know, genetically have this in our history, but most often that's because, or even in our DNA, most often that is because we eat the same as our relatives. We live in the same climates with the amount of same amount of vitamin D exposure we have. You know, we our gut microbiomes are pollinated in. You know, I'm a, I'm no gut microbiome expert, but our gut microbiomes probably are as crappy as our relatives and ancestors, and so we get the same diseases. But what it really is is that we turn them on and off. You know, now we know that we turn them on and off, and we can turn off disease if we want. Diseases such as heart disease, such as rheumatoid arthritis, such as multiple sclerosis, such as breast cancer, all these types of diseases, you know, of course, yes, we can get them, but diet and lifestyle stress, those factors, we can play a huge role in what we put into our bodies and how we care for our bodies plays a huge role in how those diseases present or if they ever present, or if we can recover from them. And most people, well, everyone on this show has proven that they have recovered from them and gone on to live incredible, incredibly inspiring lives. So now I may have said that in the wrong way and said something that the point is still there, (laughs) even though I might not have articulated it exactly perfectly. The point is still there. These diseases can be turned on and off and... The guests on this show prove that time and time and time again that we aren't our life and our our death aren't predicted. I want to say predicted, but it's not predicted. It's predetermined for us by our genes. You know, we can make those we can make changes to our diet and to our lifestyles that can mean that we don't have to get the diseases that our family members and our relatives and that have all succumbed to. We have so much more power than we can ever know. And we're only just scratching the surface of that. So if you haven't listened, go back, listen to people with so many great stories on on these podcasts. Adam Guthrie's story about heart disease. You know, you've got Rebecca Stonor's episode about multiple sclerosis. There are just so many. My brain's just having a little malfunction. But there are so many Um, On this, we've got Amanda Fisher's rheumatoid arthritis story. There's so many. Go back, listen. You know, there's great doctors on here. Mark Craig, um, Andrew Pennington, Dr. Esselstyn, Anthony Hodge. So many. So go back, listen, be inspired, and 
yeah, just keep listening <laughs> and just trans- and transform your health from the inside out. So this week, no exception, sorry for the ramble, but I just was thinking about it because I'm deep into the writing of this book. And so I've been listening to all the episodes again and reading them and thinking about their stories. There's just so many incredibly inspiring stories out there. So it just gets me very excited and passionate. This week, I was very excited to have special guest Deborah Plowman on the episode. Now, Deborah is co-founder of the Facebook group Whole Food Plant-Based Aussies. She has been eating this way for a very long time now and supporting literally up almost 10,000 people across Australia now are members of that group, Whole Food Plant-Based Aussies. And I, we had the other co-founder, Jenny Cameron, on last week's episode episode 38. And these two women, you know, they created this group, which is now helping so many people change their diet or just learn more about this diet, this way of eating and how it can transform people's health and help them recover from disease. And also Deb is a blogger and she has a great blog called Plant Based Family Down Under at plantbasedfamilydownunder.com. And it's definitely worth checking out if you want to just learn about this way of eating when you're in a family (laughs) and the recipes and all that kind of great stuff. Deborah is a passionate foodie, plant-based recipe person. So if you want to find great food for your, that your kids will eat, she is the person to go to. So check out her website, plantbasedfamilydownunder.com. And yeah, I'm excited to have her on the show because I love talking to passionate people who are passionate as I am, even more passionate than I am possibly about this way of eating. So she has some really great tips for mums, especially. I love this as a mum of kids with fuss, that are fussy eaters. So I think it's a really great episode if you're wanting to find out how to get your family to love this way of eating and to just get them some tasty stuff into their bellies, which I think all parents... And even just people, if you want to get your friends to eat this food, you know, you can use this the, the, the tips that Deborah shares in this episode with everyone that you know and care about who's coming to your house that you're going to feed a whole food plant-based diet too, meal too. Okay, so without further ado, welcome Deborah to the show. Enjoy everyone. Hello, Deb. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Corinne. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Don't be nervous. It's going to be great. I'm a little bit nervous, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, I'm nervous. Everyone's nervous. It's just a, you know, it's a, it's a funny situation being on in everyone's ears. Yes, yes. I'm trying to forget anyone's listening. It's no just one's you and me having, just, having a quiet chat. It's just you and me, yes. definitely. Okay. okay. So I want you to give us a bit of a background. So Deb, I've given you an introduction already. Okay. Okay. But I want you to just tell, tell us, expand your story and tell us, about your own journey to this way of life. Now, it wasn't a journey with chronic disease, but you have been a very committed and passionate in this area of whole food plant-based eating for a really long time now and vegan for longer and then vegetarian for even longer. So I really love the work that you're doing and the support you're giving to people across Australia. And I really look forward for everyone who's listening to hear some of your journey and some of your thoughts on parenting and raising vegan kids. So I went, my first step, I suppose, was going vegetarian um, when I was 17. And this is back in the 80s in the UK. So it was a very different world. Um, 
I was a huge animal lover, always had been, and I think eventually I just knew I've got to stop eating animals and I made myself watch a documentary called The Animals Film, which was like Earthlings um, for the 80s. And it was very long and I just cried and cried and cried. And my mum kept coming in and saying, stop watching it. It's too upsetting. You don't need to see all this. But I did. I need, needed to watch it. And I came away and that was it. I was 17 and still living at home and just stopped eating meat and fish. I still ate eggs and cheese. Um, and that went on until I was a mum of, of two young ones. Well, they were seven and four. 7 and 11, I guess, when I eventually decided to ditch the dairy and the eggs. Um, I think I was kind of blinkered and not really thinking about them as... I think my, my my the way I imagined it was, well, you don't have to kill animals to get milk and cheese. So that's fine, and eggs. Um, and so I kind of justified it to myself like that for a long, long time and didn't really let myself think about the big picture until for health reasons, because I was very interested in nutrition, I came across um, the book um, Eat to Live by Dr. Joel Furman, which I listened to on my long walks after dropping my kids at school. I go for long walks and listen to things like that. And it just made so much sense to me. And only once I'd given them up for health reasons did I allow myself to realise what else was involved in the production of milk and eggs. So, yeah, that's how, that's how it all began. Yes. Wow. And so when we were talking in the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about uh, a couple of health benefits that you noticed after adopting a plant-based diet. So Yeah. Well, my, my husband um, had a big health, but he had very, very high um, blood pressure. And within six weeks of cutting out, he was also eating fish at the time, not that much. Occasionally he would eat fish if we went out for dinner or something. Um he would eat fish and eggs and cheese, and we ate the eggs and cheese as well. So he dropped all three, and within six weeks, his blood pressure was perfectly normal. And this is—he was a very fat, very fat, no, <laughs> a very fit man, not at all fat, very lean and very fit. Yes. And so it wasn't—you know—the doctors are really surprised at how his how his how his blood pressure was to start with. So that was kind of an eye opener to make to realise the good it was doing by giving all that up. Um, and I had a. I hadn't had my cholesterol checked for a while, but I did have a um, an irregular heartbeat and hadn't done for as long as I could remember. And that's gone. That's gone within, I don't know how long it took. I just noticed a couple of years ago that it had gone. Mm, I think it's one of those things that you're used to and then... Mm, yeah. Wow. And I just thought that was me. And I just thought that was you know, the way my heart was made. But um, obviously not because it's gone. Yeah, it's normal now. So... Transitioning with kids, because my kids, actually, before we begin with that, mm. I, I thought, well, maybe, no, we will, we will go, we'll go this way. Okay. <laughs> with kids, because I think a lot of people who are listening, may, their kids, I, I, I was lucky enough to adopt this way of eating before, well, adopted this way of eating, committed to it properly when Iggy was six months old, but I was vegan and then for my, I was veg- plant-based for my health. And then when I was pregnant, I ate like a rubbish bin because um, I heard that MS didn't go, went, went into remission when you were pregnant. So I was like, I'm, this is just, I don't know if it's a fact or not, but I was like, if it is a fact, I'm going to go and eat all the bad foods that I missed. <laughs> so, because I was only vegan for my, plant-based for my multiple sclerosis. Yeah. And then yeah. when Iggy was six months old, then I went vegan. So, but he, but he wasn't on solids until 
I went vegan. So he's been vegan his whole life apart from in utero and that six months. And Iggy's and Theo's been vegan his whole life. But, I mean, coming in as a parent with kids that are already eating eggs, mm. eggs and dairy at least, yeah. or some seafood, I imagine that that's tr- trickier trying to get the family to eat more plant-based foods. And I think a lot of people who are listening with chronic disease are like, oh, but if I do this, then my husband's going to want to eat this and my kids are going to want to I'm making three meals at dinner time, and it's not going to yeah. work. How's it going to work? Yeah. I think it, it is, regardless, it is a huge challenge for families to put this in. With There's pushback from everyone. Often there's pushback from everyone. And I really would like to hear, I think that your story is a really great story for those people who are struggling with that or thinking, I don't want to start this because it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight, especially when you've got young kids like I, three-year-olds who are already super resistant to anything and they just want to eat nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not mine, but, you know, he would, he would, if, he would, if, he, <laughs> he would if he could. Yeah. So, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on the transition, um, how that went for you and, and, and how you incorporated those, how you incorporated those, those new foods or, or left out the old foods. Yeah, I guess because my, my children were, were vegetarian from birth. So I guess already it's a lot, it was a lot easier. I think it must be very hard if you're giving up bacon and sausages and chicken and, you know, McDonald's and all the stuff that no doubt mine would have been eating as well if, if we hadn't been vegetarian. So I didn't have any of that. So all the, the cheese was was the hard one, for sure. And it is addictive. And, and we know that now. It really is, you know, not just emotionally addictive, it's physically addictive and very hard to give up. Um, but for, to begin with, I just stopped buying it. And I did ex- we did explain to them why I'm not going to be buying cheese anymore. Um, the moral and the health reasons, and they were seven and eleven, so they did understand. They weren't very happy about it. There's a few tantrums about it, but um, they knew that they can go to friends' houses and still have pizza, and and they did that for quite a probably a year or two. They would do that whenever they went to someone's house and there was pizza, and and even now if there's cake, they won't ask if it's you know <laughs> for some reason there's there seems to be kind of a black hole when it comes to anything sweet and cooked and baked that they don't think of that might have eggs and milk in it but I'm not going to lose sleep over that you know it's very rare um and I, they won't eat ice cream that's that's got milk in it weirdly but when it comes to cake it's like oh it's cake that's fine um it's so funny the cake. The, I had no, no. when I was when I was plant based. I had this thing. This is going to sound crazy, but I was going to say wedding weddings and funeral. The food is bar, is, is like barley. <laughs> like I was just yeah. like, I'm at a funeral. I'm grieving already. I'm just going to have whatever eat I like. Whatever I yeah. like. Yes. yes, and I think that's how we, even we started it when we when we gave up, which seemed to be such a sad thing to give up cheese because you know, gosh, it, it's a delicious thing, um, and. The, the way I justified it to myself was, well, I can have it when I go out. And if I go to a friend's house and there's a cheese platter, I can have some cheese. And I did for a little while, but it was quite quick when you suddenly realise, actually, you know, I don't, I don't want it anymore. Because by then you're looking more into the the ethical background as well about how it gets to the table. And, and it started looking like non-food quite quickly, looking like something I shouldn't eat. I um, was going to brush past that but this is a this is a vegan podcast and I, I don't know if everyone listening would know about 
the ethical side of dairy. And I know I'm not saying that you're a, you're an expert, and I don't mean don't, yeah. don't mean to put no, you I'm on not. the don't mean to put you in the hot seat. But if you could just give us a the dog's just going crazy, just a bit of your understanding of the ethical side of dairy. Um, well, just the the fact that well, it's, it's lots of things to me. It's not for us. On the bigger picture, milk is made for your baby. And and having breastfed my two children, you get an inkling of what that is for. And it's for your children. Milk is for your babies. It's not for anyone else. It's especially not for another species. And um, so the milk of cows is for baby cows. <laughs> On a base level, that's just it's just wrong to eat it because it's not for us. And we're not biologically adapted to, to digest or do anything good with it for our bodies. There's that. Plus the... As far as ethics are concerned, you know, the baby, they're taken away from their mothers. The, mothers, the babies are stripped from their mothers. And, and, you know, I've heard from people who live in the country who hear that awful noise of the mothers grieving as their babies are taken away. It's one day they've taken. Every few months there's another round of babies taken away. And it's a horrible noise listening to those mothers. They're crying. And, who, you know, we shouldn't be surprised at that, really. Um, so, yeah, to me that's enough. That's just, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah, it's funny. When, it's not funny, haha. I don't know why I said that. But when yeah. I, when I, I met this, miss, I know, I think it was my, anyway, I met this man and he was like, but what if it's an organic cow? And the cow, the cow, I was breastfeeding Iggy at the time yeah. and he was talking about it. He's like, and the cow is a family pet and you let it keep its baby for, till it weans. Mm. And I said, you know how horrible pumping milk is like mm. I don't enjoy it it hurts no. it's painful yeah. I feel you're doing it in between trying to feed your baby mm. and mm. and that can be uncomfortable and painful and you mm. know it's not always a joy I I personally wouldn't want some other species to come and tug on my nipples no twice a day even if they were my mate <laughs> do you no, know what I no. mean like and also people have this idea that organic farms are different and they're not the only difference in organic farm is that the feed that the cows are, are eating um and there's no chemicals used but that's the only difference it's the same practices the babies are still taken away people have this idea oh, about organic milk so it's all ethical no it isn't it really isn't they're just fed differently no, and I'd never thought about the mastitis, you know, like when oh, you get yeah. mastitis and the pus in their nipples oh, going into yeah. the milk and that and you're allowed, allowed to have pus yeah. in milk yeah. and mm, the blood. Nice. Like one of my friends, she had this nipple that would bleed and bleed. So her nip, we used to call her one boobs milk strawberry Big M. Oh, oh gross. But that's what we're drinking because like, if, <laughs> if, if, if her nipples are bleeding, then the cow's nipples are definitely oh, bleeding. For sure, for sure, yeah. You yeah. know? And so she was yeah, expressing no. strawberry milk to her. And then the nurses were like, look, it's not going to harm your baby. You it's have- hideous. It's a hideous industry. And there's no getting away from but it. But all of that, there's poop on their nipples. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's poop on them. I saw a video yesterday where the farmer was literally blow oh, blow torching their nipples. I saw that. How disgusting. Blow torching their oh, nipples. No. Yeah, to get rid of all the bacteria. Yeah, lovely. And that was probably an organic farm because they couldn't give them antibiotics. That's probably how they do it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, so if you're listening, sorry to traumatize you, <laughs> but these are some of the reasons, you know, dairy milk is designed to raise a very large mammal. and mm, we, Very quickly. Very, mm. very rapidly. Yeah. And we are not that species. I mean, we don't want to grow very large rapidly. Not to mention the hormones and the antibiotics that are in their milk that we then get. And it's weird that we picked on cows, like... 
it could have been any animal that we've decided to do that with but for some reason we pick cows you know we don't drink dog milk cat milk or get well you can drink goat some people drink goat milk but you know it's it's odd that people think oh it's cow's milk and that's okay but any other kind of milk would be weird <laughs> I don't know why it's any more weird, really. I know. Anyway, yeah. I wonder if I were just docile and had a lot of that. Perhaps that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. slow no moving. Idea. Like obviously, you can see how things start. Your baby's starving. The farmer's like, "Well, I can get where things start, but the problem with humans is that we're super greedy, and then we just oh, then it, then you can make money out of it. Then you can make that's money out thing. of it. Um, yeah." We've taken something that may have needed to happen once or twice or a few times to sustain humanity and we've we've made it a nightmare industry that just tortures and imprisons women for their entire lives. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, how do we get into that? Yeah, it was about yeah, getting your children to give up that. Yeah, so that was tough. But it didn't take that long and now they won't they don't eat cheese anymore. So that's good. Mm. And so what did you replace those foods with for people who are listening and they're like, well, what about what about the omelettes, Deb? What about the omelettes? They're so quick and easy, See, a hard-boiled yeah, egg in the lunchbox. I did used to make a wicked frittata that my son, you know, still, if he sees a picture, he'd still go, mmm, I remember that. <laughs> um, it was with spinach and feta and really, it was very good and so easy for lunchboxes. So I, I do know that. I'm still trying to replace a quiche or a frittata recipe. I've still done lots and none of them are really as good. But with replacing cheese, I learned to make just really nice cheese sauces. Um, so I can still do like, you know, a pasta bake with a creamy, cheesy kind of sauce. They love that. I made that wonderful mozzarella stuff that you can put on pizzas, you know, with the tapioca starch. Oh. That is just like mozzarella. It's amazing. Um, and mozzarella hasn't got much of a taste, really. I need, I need it's the recipe. a bit salty. Mm. It's a bit salty. And um, salty, it's creamy. fatty goop. Yeah, and a bit of tang. It's a kind of tangy mm. with salt, and you've got, and that's it. So that works really well. It's really good, or nothing's still better than any of the ones you can buy to put on pizza. Um, so that's good. So no, it wasn't that hard really. Um, just took time. Um, and like fried egg, my my kids were a long tradition in my family of having fried egg sandwiches for breakfast on a weekend, and. Um, I found that the chickpea and you know, the chickpea flour batter, you just use chickpea flour and water and a bit of the, the, the pink salt, you know, that tastes like eggs, sulfurous, that makes oh, something. And once it's in bread with tomato sauce on it, my kids will go, they're happy, wolf that down. So that's, that's been quite good. Wow, um, that's a new one for me. Yeah, it's just like, it's very similar and the texture is quite similar to egg. So omelettes with chickpea flour are very good. Um, so yeah, you find things along the way. And then you just keep doing all their favourites. Like you can still make lasagna. You can still make, you know, chilli and rice and tacos. And um, there's still all the things you can do that they still love. So there's no, and there's still, you know, curries and stews and casseroles. And so, yeah, and soups, you know, most of the things they still love, you can still have. Um, and again, it's easier for us because we weren't having, you know, burgers and fries. And you can, yeah, again, you could still make that. <laughs> Wouldn't know the difference. Um but a lot of the things like um, fish and chips or um, what else would you have that we didn't have? Chicken and chips, I suppose. There was no thing that was hard to replace. Everything we had was already kind of halfway there. Um, and I just had to replace the cheesiness in some things. So um, it wasn't that, wasn't that hard, much harder, much easier for us, I think, than most families when you're giving up, um, yeah, the, the fast food 
which we weren't, you know, we didn't have. So, yeah. When we were talking beforehand, you were talking about something that I very much and my husband and all the mums I know, actually, (laughs) now that I'm thinking about it, experience. And that is this panic and this fear that you are, your kid isn't getting enough nutrients, that they're not getting the right balance of what they need to grow and thrive. And it, you know, it becomes this daily mathematical equation that you're trying to work out which kids eat and what nutrients what do they need what are they missing out on what are they lacking and I really liked the way you approached that and I thought that my people who are listening might also benefit from hearing your thoughts on that as well in terms of worrying about nutritional input the one book I that I read that stopped me doing that was Whole by um, Dr T Colin Campbell um, that was an amazing book because it makes you realize that we have such a reductionist attitude to nutrition um, that's totally not necessary and that for example I remember one in the book he talks about how you could take 10 apples off of the same tree and they'd all have varying degrees of different nutrients in them so no two apples are the same so when we say oh there's you know 100 calories in an apple and there's this so much vitamin c and this much whatever and whatever um that's not actually true because every apple is different and our body's ability to take what it needs from what we eat is incredible because we have eaten this way since cavemen and before and our bodies know how to get what it needs from the foods we eat and it gets just as much of what it needs so whereas like for example with iron um you know the whole heme iron versus non-heme iron i remember reading and it blew me away that with heme iron from meat our body has no choice but to absorb it so you can get too much iron Mm. and you know some people do have too much iron Yeah, my husband has too much iron mm, whereas if you for non-heme iron sources it's obvious that we're meant to eat those because our body only takes as much iron of that source as it needs. You can't overdose on spinach and have too much iron. Your body to take as much of the iron as it wants, which shows that we are, that's the iron we're supposed to have, um, which is really interesting. So that book, Whole, was, is really reassuring for me to know that you don't have to worry about it. As long as they're getting enough food from enough different sources, um, they will be fine they're resilient and you know we're, we're born we're, we've evolved to live through famine and um long periods of no food kids as well and that's why you know they they put on fat very easily because fatty food they store fat very well they'll use it when they have energy and you know we know kids some days they're not hungry and we panic but we're meant to be more like that oh you're not hungry that's okay just don't have anything to eat then eat when you're hungry um was this whole three meals a day, we have to eat three meals a day and make sure they have enough food. And, you know, this fear of being hungry, like it's the worst possible thing in the world. Um, yeah, it's it's odd. We're, it's quite terrifying the way that we're almost brainwashing kids to be scared of food, you know, and, oh, panicking about it. Whereas um, my approach, I read a very good book, and I will name it if I can find the name of it here, It's called Child of Mine, Feeding with Love and Good Sense by Ellen Satter. And it was a fantastic book because my daughter was very fussy when she was around three or four. And incidentally, that's interesting. Kids are meant to be fussy when they start walking. Kids get fussy around the age of about 18 months, between one and 18 months, when they start being physically active because at that age in our natural life, they'd have been able to wander away from the pack and maybe find some berries or some seeds or something that might have been poisonous. 
Um, so this is a time when they're supposed to be fussy, when they're supposed to turn down foods that they haven't seen before. When, that's the way we're supposed to be. So don't worry when your child gets fussy. We've evolved that way. I've never heard that before, and that is so fascinating, isn't fascinating. it? Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So they like familiar food at that point, and things they see you eating. So this is a time also when they watch what you have, and they'll eat what you have. But only if we don't make too much fuss about it. <laughs> Um, and we make so much fuss about food. It's so fascinating because, you know, you're always, my kids always want to eat off my plate mm. Mm. and not yeah. the thing off their yeah. plate. And I'm like, it's exactly. exactly the same. It's on your plate. Yeah. Get out of my mm. plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's, that's a self-survival mechanism, isn't it? I'll have exactly what mum's having. You know, in some in some societies, mothers chew the food and spit it into their children's mouths just like some animals do. Yeah. So we have to not panic when kids start to get fussy. So that's one thing. The other thing about, I hate high chairs, this whole thing of pinning a child into a seat and they can't get out, they're restrained, and then you put this food down in front of them and there, that's what you have to have. And this is at the point when they're learning about themselves as an individual, when they are wandering away, they can walk and they can go and explore the world. And we're, we're making them sit in this chair and making them eat what we put in front of them. Not surprisingly, that doesn't go down very well with lots of kids and they don't like that. So I like the idea of a chair at the table that they can climb up in and out of by themselves. Our son has this. Sometimes it's yeah. a real pain. <laughs> it's fine. And then you put, and I really am a strong believer of as soon as they're able to put food on their plate, they put it on their own plate. As soon as they're able, they put food on their own plate. You don't put the food on the plate for them. They choose how much to have and which they want to have. Like we put a, you put all the bowls in the middle of the table of whatever you've got and and if they just eat one of the things on there, that's fine. You don't make a fuss about it because they will get what they need and you have to stop worrying about it. Mm. I know it's hard. And I've been so through it. I know it's hard. Total control freak here. I'm just like, oh, my mm. gosh, what if he never wants but to the eat But the thing them? is, they'll pick up on that, on that, those little, oh, you have to try this, just one bite and all those arguments, just have a go and you haven't had enough, have some more. And the pressure on them. They know when they're hungry and they know when they've had enough. You can't make things that we have to let go. There comes an age where you can't make them eat. And that's what we can't stand as parents. We can't make them eat anymore. You know, it's terrifying. Um, but as long as there's enough food, enough, and there's, there's no rubbish in the house. If there's no cookies and biscuits and cake and um, stuff, of course they want that. You know, again, no, I'm a big fan of Dr. Doug Lyle and the whole we are designed to eat the most calorie-dense food in the environment because it's about survival. We're programmed that way. So we will, of course, go for the cake and cookies and biscuits and crisps and chips if they're there, because um, our bodies know they're high calorie. Um, but if it's not available, but there's plenty of fruit and there's hummus and dips and chips and all the good stuff, things you can make, they'll eat it. They won't go hungry on purpose. Just have it all available um, and let them graze if they want or if they just sit there. But make meal times because... Mealtimes become such a stress for families, whereas or fighting about the food, um, where it should be about the family, should be about, and never let a child eat alone. You know, you see people, they sit their child in the high chair and then they'll go off to the kitchen and leave the child on its own to sit and play with whatever it is. <laughs> it's supposed to be a sociable occasion. We're social animals. We should sit and eat together and share the food. And it should be about the conversation, not about the food. So if you take all the pressure off the food, um, they will eat. It might take a while, 
but they'll get the message soon when suddenly you're not making the meat anymore. You're not saying, eat, finish your plate, you need some more, are you still hungry? Um, it's, it changes, it changes everything. I think this is, I hope it's helpful to everyone listening, but for me, it's really helpful because, you know, we have a three and a six-year-old and it is like, we, we have family meals, so we do, and we do have some times where we have meals with everything out on the, on the table for them to pick from and they are the most successful meals. But we don't do them all the time because you're like, oh, so many bowls. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if there's just one bowl, but as long as there's something on the table that you know they like and they will eat, even if it's a bowl of grapes. Um, but generally, if you are talking and about something else or have playing a game, or we used to like have these cards with word games and things on it and whilst we're eating and, and just talking about fun, nice things and, or telling a story about, you know, when we were a child or some, you know, just making it a nice time. Um the kids will eventually try what you're having. As long as you're not going, here you are, have some of this. If you're eating and going, mm, this is nice, and you're allowed to talk about the food, you're even allowed to say, this is disgusting, I don't like this. But um, it, it can't be, you have to eat this. Um, and I think a lot of kids just dig their heels in because they feel out of control. Um, and being able to choose what you put in your mouth, it's very important as a child, very important. Yes. No, it's um, fascinating. I've written the rules down here about the book because I'm yes. not going to be covering all the things, but if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll cover the points because this points. might be something I've forgotten. Yes. Um, so number one, eat together at the table. Never let a child eat alone. Mealtimes are social occasions for talking and sharing. Meal, make mealtimes fun, play word games, talk about memories, favourite things, etc. Number two, mealtimes are not about the food. Number three, what mum, dad, carer, grandma, etc. has made is what's for dinner or lunch. No exceptions. Four, everyone can eat as much as they want from what is available. Let kids choose what to put on their plate. Do not put a plate in front of a child. This is saying you do know not you do know, not know what or how much to eat, so I'm choosing for you. Five, do not talk about the food except to say how delicious, bland, weird it is. There's no pressure to like it. Talk about other stuff. Number six, absolutely no cajoling, persuading, one more bite type of exchange. It's oh not even would you God, like some more. Oh, my God, Kids, kids will follow your lead in helping themselves. The dinner table is not a battleground. You can only suggest they try something if they've never had it before. That's it. Do not have, i.e. display, an emotional reaction dependent upon their liking or not liking of what you've made. Find their reaction interesting. Um, so we can't guilt kids in. You can't say, I've spent so long making this, you have to like it. No, you don't have to like it. Um, everyone leaves the table at the same time. There's no, can I be excused? Once plates are empty, it's not about the food. Everyone leaves when the last person is finished. Um, number eight, when you create a happy table and the eating of the food is no longer the agenda, kids stop digging in their heels as they realise you don't care whether they eat it or not. It's very hard, but it gets easier and is such a relief. They are really good points. There's a few where I was like, yes, nailing it, and a few that I was <laughs> like, definitely need to do something. <laughs> work, not yeah. follow my three-year-old around the house with a spoon mm. and a bowl, oh, no. feeding it to him in the yeah. bath because he won't have mm. it and I'm just worried yeah. he's going to be hungry at like eight o'clock, giving them apple cheeks desperately at <laughs> just before brushing their teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they will learn quite quickly the food is, that's where you eat. This is when the food is available. It's at the table with with my family. That's when they eat and they'll learn to copy you and this is when they eat. Yes. Um, if you make food available all the time everywhere, they'll have it there instead. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Yes. 
Yes, very good points. And I think they're great points for someone who's wanting to transition the family to a whole food plant-based diet because, as you say, you've made this on the table. This is the only dinner. He's all different pieces. Just give bits and pieces a try. Yeah. You know? I was yeah. when you were talking. I was thinking because we make Mexican like that. That's how. That, that's our yeah. big. Yeah. Lots of different. Yeah. Like, yeah limes yeah. and coriander. And you can and... do potato ones out there, like a potato yes. bowl. You know, you bake potato and put your toppings on, and and kids love that kind of food. Yes, they do. but I always. When you were talking about let them have as much as they want of the thing that they like and I was thinking, yeah. I always sit there watching them with like the hummus and the guac thinking, stop hugging all the hummus and the guac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Leave some for everyone else. Leave some yeah. because Theo just sits there with a spoon just eating the hummus and guac and not touching anything else and I'm just yeah. like, baby. <laughs> yeah, I know it's very hard to start with to, um, to keep your mouth shut. I know. Yeah. But, um, You're hugging all the guac. It does get easier. <laughs> Avocados are like twenty dollars a one each one, yeah, no. pal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there might be. Yeah, that's a bit hard. Yeah, only one to go. One to go around. You can only have a quarter. You can only have a quarter of your guac. So, when you're making that switch for your kids, how long do you think it took for them to start to be like, you know, what I actually I feel better, but I also get it. Now that would be different for every kid. So you're not going to be giving the, this is exactly what's going to happen for your kids. But, I mean, for your kids, it's it's interesting to hear how long it took for them to, I know if they're still eating cake, but, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I think another thing that I've forgotten that happened when I was, what year was this? I think it was before we went um, vegan. I went away, um, we, yeah, we sold a house and we had some money for once. And I, I very, I was very lucky. I got a five-day trip to a health spa by myself without the kids. I've never done this before. I went away just by myself for five oh, days. Oh, heaven! And it was heaven. And I came back. I think because you get a bit of time to yourself to think. And I came back going, I'm not cooking two meals anymore. Not doing that anymore. Um, and so we made dinner later, so my husband could get home, and we'd all eat together. I think around six or six thirty. Um, I think how the kids were then. They're probably about five and five and nine or something like that. And that was a major change too, because they suddenly had to start eating what we ate. Because I used to make like kid tea, you know, like these type of very early, like five o'clock, and I'd make like children's food. It was essentially children's food, you know, like you'd see in a pub, you know, the this thing and then this thing and not touching, you know, the things on the plate, not allowed to touch. Yes, I, um, I, I know, Deb, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was making that and, and I just thought, it's, it's exhausting me because then what would happen is, you know, husband would get home, we'd try and have a grown-up meal and I wasn't hungry anymore because I'd kind of eaten half the kids' food and, and I couldn't be able to cook again. And so and we were suffering because I was doing it for them. So I thought, no, this, is, this isn't family for me. This isn't a family meal on a family meal time. And that is when I read that book and it all changed at the same time. So I said, well, this is what's for dinner. And yes, it's chilli with rice. It might be a bit spicy, but whatever. You know? <laughs> um, they got to like it. And, and they got to enjoy it because it was a novelty as all sitting together and eating together. And so they just followed our lead, I suppose. It didn't, take, didn't actually take that long, maybe a few months, maybe three or four months. And then it was such a relief for me to be able to cook one meal. So it's such a relief. And I, 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 we, we do cook just one meal. That's um, good. Yeah, a lot of people don't. But people don't. Yeah. And, I, you know, I know so many parents who are eating these two broken meals and half the leftovers of their kids. And and it's not teaching our kids what food should taste like either. It's very bland. 
and you know you see um, you know documentaries set in India and places and the kids are shoveling in you know dal and rice and you think wow and they're like two years old yeah you know you you they'll eat they will eat it um you just have to get used to it um yeah. Oh, it's funny. My son loved seaweed, like the seaweed. Oh, yeah. Like eating seaweed and the seaweed. Yeah. Um, the little snacks. Was, the little snacks. Or the, or the nori sheets. Yeah, the, the nori sheets. The nori sheets. Got, the got nori so sheets, aren't they? Or the yeah. snacks or, or the seaweed, the, the fluoro green one that's horrible. It looks disgusting at the sushi restaurant. Oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. He used to love eating the, that. Really get stuck between your teeth. Oh, yeah, gosh. You can't yeah. meeting a stranger for lunch. You can't go out that. after that. No. Yeah. Because he's going to get the floss out. Yeah, he used to love eating that. He think it's, when he was like three, he was addicted to it. And I was like, it's so funny because I, I, I didn't have seaweed until I was like 26. <laughs> no, no, my son's first food, first love of food was sushi in the baby sushi rolls. He adored, and he still adores yeah, sushi. Same. But I never, we'd never, it wasn't something that we had in our culture, you know, Australia, no, Australian not culture until I was. No, gosh, not in England. And no, I didn't have sushi until I was 25, I think. Yes. First time I had sushi on, in Singapore on the way to Australia for my first time is when I first had sushi. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was a thing, and that was one of the hard things for me because it was something that Ranjit and I used to go on dates and eat because it was cheap, mm. you know, when mm. we were students and we'd get yeah. sushi. Like, and the with, sushi with, train was so exciting watching all the food go past. You know? With the so sa- like, wow. all the, and all the plates and all the different types. Yeah. I ate the seafood ones because I was still eating fish. And then when I took that away, we were like, where are we going to go for dates now? <laughs> yeah. you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to yeah. live? But we, we managed. <laughs> we survived. But, yeah, it's funny how you – I was 25 and I was like, this is the most amazing, mm. fresh, mm. fun, yeah. ha- healthy thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm actually making it for lunch today with brown rice and red cabbage and, yeah. Good. And that's Yum. the thing people don't understand. You can change and make vegan sushis mm. that are amazing with brown rice. Mm. You know, yeah. like we love. Yeah. I love it. I think it's even yeah, better. I love it. Oh, it's much better. It annoys me. You go to the sushi places, and often they'll have black rice and brown rice, but not for the ones that I would eat. Like not the avocado and the cucumber. It's all the other ones that I can't eat. And I go, can you make me a black rice one with the cucumber and the avocado? <laughs> and some places will, thankfully, because I love the black rice. It's delicious. I never yeah. had it with black rice at the. Mm. So good. Place. Mm. I've never seen that. That sounds exciting. Mm. I would like that. Good. It's yeah. nuttier and more. Oh, it's f- I don't better. know. It's better. Mm. It's good. Yeah. yeah. And so, what would family meals look like for your family now? You've kind of given us an idea, but like, what type of foods do you make for your family now? Oh, for people who are gosh. wanting ideas. Um, we love pasta. Um, I'll have pasta probably once or twice a week, um, whole wheat spaghetti or. You know, whatever shape I can find, and we'll have like a tomato-based sauce, just with loads of veggies in it. Or um, I love I love pasta bake, where you put like a creamy sauce in there, and you have like loads of broccoli and cauliflower, and um, and then I put breadcrumbs on the top, make it crispy on the top. Oh, what else do I do? I love lasagna. I've got a really good lentil, two lentil lasagna. They love that. Um, Mexican, like you said. Um, tacos or just like a, a good chili with rice um curries soups stews pizza just all everything really everything that regular <laughs> regular people eat <laughs> yeah but i think that sometimes when um you're a regular person it still feels like vegans only eat 
Sal- kale, kale, oh, kale. Uh, and- salad. Oh, you must live on salads. I think we live on salads. I know. I don't live on salads. <laughs> and they think they think you eat raw as well. People when they meet you, they they either think you're gluten free and b they think you eat everything raw. It's so true. I was reading today. Um, a friend of mine. They've started a, ve- a, a vegan food truck. You know, food delivery business like what you like what you had yeah i did that yeah so yeah, that was great yeah, yeah. The, the, some of the comments on the news was on, uh, was on the news and the comments mm. were you know i go out to my lawn and mow the grass if i want to have a vegan oh, f- food delivery i know, I know. I know. <laughs> vegans become such a such a dirty word hasn't it um it has it has to the point where i really i recently downloaded the animals australia um magazine that they promote when I signed a petition, I think, about the live export trade, and they said, "Would you like to download this free magazine?" So, oh, I'll have a look at that, see what's in it. And they don't want to mention the word vegan. It's a vegan magazine. All the recipes are vegan, but they call it vegetarian, which I thought was very interesting. It is interesting. Hmm. Yeah, because I think they think vegan is a word nobody wants to hear and not associate themselves with. They must have done their research and they've decided to use the word vegetarian, which is. Yeah, that was interesting. I think that it definitely is becoming more and more of a word that people associate with. Yeah, hopefully it'll change, but people, yeah, it's become like, oh, vegan. And hopefully that's not going to last much longer. But, yeah, it has been a thing in the past where nobody wants to use that word. Sad. Yeah. It's it's very funny that something that's about peace, (laughs) that's about peace can have such a... You know, and I guess that's from some of the people in the movement as well. I guess it's a it's a really strong. I love Dr. Ash, the neuropsychologist. I don't know if you follow her. No, I don't think I do. She's a vegan neuropsychologist, and so she's and she's super. She's written a book called Oh Ash. I'm so sorry, I'm not remembering your book's name. It's How to Stay Positive in a Fucked Up World. Something like this. Um, I will write it in the notes because okay. I'm having a blank. <laughs> I think it's a how to stay positive in a fucked up world. But she talks about that, you know, we do get, vegans can get super, super passionate and angry and upset. But she yeah, talks about good, it. In, for good reason. Yeah, yeah, she talks about it in yeah. this way that like, you know, it's obviously we don't want to be attacking to people and push them away, but, but that there's a line being crossed a very violent and serious injustice that's occurring. And when any human experiences a boundary being crossed, whatever it is for you, because it might, you not might not be vegan yet. You may have a boundary being crossed. Someone might, you know, not call you on your birthday. They might do some, I'm just thinking of any random, they might cross a line with you. Your kids might cross a line with you or a friendship or a boss or coworker. And we get that feeling of anger, that feeling of hurt, that upset. And vegans have that all the time because we because of the world we live in. And it's not that we're I know we can sometimes we can it also where we can express that anger in ways that are toxic to the movement and ways that are unhelpful and unkind and really judgmental for people in different stages of their journey in veganism because it is a journey unfortunately you make mistakes I make mistakes still where I'm just like oh you know I saw my son Theo in the hallway at his grandma's house plowing chowing into Anzac biscuits that she had bought that weren't vegan <laughs> and he but he saw me and he just threw them in the air <laughs> 
So he knew. He obviously knew. <laughs> he knew. He knew that I was. I think he just knew that he'd stolen every single biscuit off the tray and was yeah. running down the hallway just shoving them into. Just his feeling car. guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stolen them all. But I mean, mistakes yeah. happen, and I know that. Yeah, you know, we can be it. But but the way that Dr. Ash talks about it is just like you know, accepting that rather than you know getting super angry or emotional all the time, which which we will. Understanding that those emotions are really normal, they're really natural, and they're just our body's way of saying a line is being crossed. It's very, it's, it's unacceptable. It's, and we have to keep, we have to keep talking and being the voices for the animals in the most kind way possible that reaches people. You know, I hate confrontation. I'm not good at, you know, I've obviously got lots of friends who, who don't eat how we eat, but I never talk about it. I never talk about it. I'll only talk about it if they ask questions because you can't make people. You can't change people's minds. They'll they'll see it or they won't see it. Um, you can only answer the questions when they ask, really. And I think you've got a much better chance then of reaching them when they're ready to hear it. But they have to be ready to hear it, unfortunately. That's the hardest part. People have to be ready to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I have definitely, as I've mentioned many times, been on a – it's with my immediate family, <laughs> my immediate family where I'm like, I'm not waiting for you. <laughs> just – just, and they're just like – I think like, with very close friends and family it's easier when you're not, when you're not worried about damaging that relationship because yes, you know you can't. Yes. And it's very strong and you know you could have a blazing argument and you'd still be okay. I think it's easier then. Yes. Although my mum and dad are still always like, oh, duck. Because they call me duck. Duck. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, but not fast enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> Why do they call you duck? Does that have interest? Oh, when I was, it's my dad, actually. When I was a little baby, apparently I kissed with a duck mouth. Like, mm, oh, beautiful. When I was like one. Oh, so they so called me Duck from then. So only oh, only Dad calls nice. me Duck. Oh, I thought your family might be from the Midlands in England, where everybody calls everyone Duck. Do they? Because mine are. Yeah. Uh, you're right. You're right, my duck. Yeah, it's an, it's an English a Midlands thing. Oh, that's yeah. cute. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I always my my brother who passed away called me Duck as well. It was him and my dad that called oh, me Duck. That's nice. Yeah. So I would like you to talk about. Whole food plant based Aussies during Credo, which, which is which is this is how I met Deb. Now I think I did mention it in the in, intro, but Deb has this incredible Aussie Facebook page called Whole Food Plant Based Aussies, and it's a place where her and co-founder Jenny Cameron, who was on last week's episode of the show, you're a great force, and I love the way you talk. That you know she's the in research she's, she's the science she's the science librarian she's amazing she just remembers everything she's ever ever read about the subject um so whenever we need anything checking oh uh, she'll know about the research whether it was good research or bad research and yeah it's, it's great so we all call on jenny all the time to what do you think about this jenny <laughs> and she'll, know, she'll know she won't even have to look it up she'll remember what what that particular study said and why it was terrible or really good um yeah she's she's amazing Yes, and you're the and I'm foodie more, person. And I'm more the food recipe kind of person, yeah. Which I think is a perfect balance. It's probably why that that group works so well because it is a really great place to say, you know, what do I do with this vegetable or how do I eat this in a meal? How do I do this? But also why are eggs bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's the two, the two sides of it, yeah. There's the why to do it and there's the how to do it. Yeah, yeah. so mm. I love that group. And so when did this start? How did this start? So I met Jenny... 
online on, I think it was the McDougal Friends, um, which is a US-based Facebook group supporting people following John McDougal diet. And he wrote The Starch Solution and all that. It was an amazing book. And so we met on there and realized we we're both in Australia and there wasn't many of us. So we kind of just stayed in touch. And then she was coming to Sydney one day. And so we met up and had a, had a talk about, you know, what could we what we could do and we both agreed that we needed Australia needed a Facebook group like that so someone for people to come and to get help and to find out how to do that not just um, in general but in Australia like because all the stuff on the American one was very American based you know, in terms of supermarkets and brands and so here we needed to show you know what what you can buy in Coles and Woolies basically yeah um, yes. and so yes yeah, so we met then and I can't remember what year we started. I think it was 2012 or 13, maybe even 14. I think it's four-ish years I think we started ago now. I can't remember. I'm usually good with dates. Um, but now we've, we've almost got 10,000 members now. And we've also got other awesome admins. Um, we've got Emma, who came, Emma Roche, who came on board pretty quickly. And then Sandy, um, and she's got her own blog as well, Sandy Pluse. And then we've got Diana Wallace. So we all... Because um, Sandy's actually, not Sandy, sorry, Emma is based in Europe. So that's great for time zone differences. So she can, you know, when we're all in bed, she can be online and oh, monitor those late night or early morning. And Emma um, has a cookbook as well, doesn't she? She does, plant-based on five dollars a day. Yeah, she's amazing. She's a very talented um, recipe writer. Yes. Um, um, so buy that yeah. book, everyone, buy that book. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. <laughs> Because um, it doesn't have to be expensive. People think, oh, it's so expensive, you know, quinoa and kale and your fancy ingredients, but it doesn't have to be at all. So $5 a day is doable for almost everyone. Yeah. And Sandy has her own blog as well. And um, so, yeah, it's um, we all just try and keep keep the talks nice, um, keep everyone being respectful to each other and um, and kicking people out who are obviously there for self-promotion. So we get a fair amount of those. <laughs> um and yeah, just keeping everyone, you know, on, on I track. I post my video, my my podcast there now. I have to stop. <laughs> no, 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 that's absolutely fine. We're not against self promotion. It's just people who are only there for that. You know, we get people who literally they'll just post the link to their page. I just no get comment, super nothing. excited about recovery stories because I'm. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just you should. They're awesome. No, we love we love you. We love your podcast. Don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're just trying to keep the conversations on track and. I make people realise what the difference is because a lot of people join just thinking, oh, plant-based, that means vegan. Um, and then they'll talk about you know, the recipes they're making and you go, it's not quite what we recommend. So we'll have to kind of say we don't use oil and we we advise you not to use, you know, two cans of coconut cream in your curry and, you know, that kind of thing. So there is differences, but a lot of people join and they don't read the pin post and they don't really understand what they're, what they're in. But, yeah. So there's a bit of that going on. Mm, which but is it's, tricky. But generally it's a nice group and I think everyone feels it's very supportive and very friendly. And, yeah, it's great. We love it. It's a really, it's, been, it's gone really, really well. It's my favourite group. I love it. I love seeing posts from it. So if you're listening and you're in Australia, can you, can, can you be anywhere else? Do you have to be in Australia? Yeah. Um, you don't, we do make exceptions for some people who are somewhere with no support. Um and also if they've got friends or they've lived here before or they're actually from here and happen to be living overseas. Yeah, we do make some some concessions with some people. Yes, yeah. well, definitely it's a group worth joining. I've gotten so much out of it. And uh, you know, after a while you think that you know 
everything there is to know. But there's recipes, you know, like that. even just thinking about your pasta bake, like it's, it's just not something that's in my rotation. So because you get used to about 10 things that you make for breakfast, lunch and tea. And so I used to eat that prior to going vegan pasta bake. I loved it. And then I just was like, well, that's out. Yeah. And, no, it's not. <laughs> and I didn't make it. And now I'm like, when can I? I'm going to make some breadcrumbs like immediately. I've got two recipes on my, um, on my blog for pasta bake. Please talk um, about your blog now because I have to so, find – I want to hear about it so okay. I can go and find your pasta bakes and make okay. them immediately. It's called Plant-Based Family Down Under. And I created it because I was sick of reading all the American recipes and going, I don't want to make that. Um, everything was te- everything seemed Tex-Mex when I first started, and and I love I love that, but not every meal, and things like sloppy joes, which I thought sounded disgusting, putting wet hot lentils on cold on bread, nah, um, and yeah, I just wanted things that were familiar to me, um, so they're quite they're probably got a bit of an Anglo slant, being English, but um, I just wanted familiar food. That, with taking out all the the rubbish and putting good stuff in, you know, and not cooking with oil and, um, yeah, getting as many good veggies and beans and stuff in there as well, and 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 meant to be family friendly meals as well because that's what I was, you know, trying to do when I started. Was my kids were still quite little and I needed, you know, easy after work mm. one pot dishes a lot of the time that you can that everyone will really enjoy. So that's, that's my, my favourite kind. Mm. Yeah. So if you're a family, definitely visit Plant Based Family Down Under. Is it .com or .com.au? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I think it's .com, but I'm going to have to check because I can't remember. <laughs> Let me have a look. <laughs> um, where is it? There we go. Yes, yeah, .com. Yeah. Plant Based Family Down Under .com. And I haven't even followed that blog, so I'm excited no, to have a new well, blog because yeah. as we were talking about before, Deb and I both are cookbook collecting e- uh, yeah, making the tags and love putting a in cookbook. the. Oh, yeah. I love them. <laughs> and, I get... nev- and never cooking any of them. Getting very excited yeah. when I get a new one. Tagging all the pages yeah. and it sits on my bedside table for like a month. And it goes into the kitchen for about a month. And I think, oh, I must make something out of this. And then I'll make one thing, but I'll change it so much it's not really recognisable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the exact. My husband says I'm a cook, cookbook collect hoarder mm, I mm. love them and they fill my heart with joy and I have no regrets yeah. about every single no. one that I have every now and again I do a cull where I'm like I yes, really I did a cull recently yeah I really didn't get that much out of those yeah if I've not cooked anything out of it yeah but I'm loving that that you're getting more books now with photographs of every recipe because they're the ones I love they're the ones I, do I love, love. A, yeah I love a book with a recipe because you see what you're supposed to be making um, I find it's much it really more interesting. hard without it. My husband bought me this one, which I for like my birthday years ago, thirtieth, I think. No, might have been. It was like a thousand vegan recipes. Oh yeah. Oh, I think another one. Yeah. Not a single photo. No, no photos. Never. Yeah. I, I think no. I made one thing out of it, out yeah. of like sadness that I was like, I'm yeah. super excited, but it's just not. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a visual. Well, obviously, we're visual people. I needed the photo. Mm, I need. I need to see what I'm aiming for. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. We eat with our eyes. It's true. We do. We do. Um, so you know, I love adapting recipes. I love finding something. And often, if I'm if I've got like a vegetable in the fridge, like I've got a lot of red capsicum, for example, I'll just type that in and see what comes up. And it might not even be a vegan recipe, but I'll think, oh, I like the sound of that, and I'll change it and make it, you know, make it into something else. But yeah, and I love finding new ways of cooking things, you know, techniques and 
yeah, I just, I love it. It's fascinating. The whole science of cooking is, I find very interesting as well. Yeah. And I would love you to talk about this because you're a foodie and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I like food. <laughs> I like food a lot. It's my, one of my favorite things, but and I, I'm good at adapting recipes. I'm not a recipe follower. I'm good at making mm. things taste good. Um, but like my husband and yourself are more, it needs to be beautiful. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm just like, it needs to taste good. I want it to taste good and be quick and I'm good. Whereas my husband's like, I want the sauce to simmer for, you know, a long time and reduce yeah. and yeah. balance all the flavors that you were talking about. And I think the people who are adopting vegan or trying to adopt a whole food plant-based diet may benefit from hearing a bit about how you get things to taste good. Like, you know, how do you get flavor in a food? Yeah, I think um, when I learned that whole thing about the four tastes, I think there might even be five. I might be missing one acidity? out. But there's, you is know, it acidity? Yeah, is, is umami, which is the savoury. That was the new one they introduced, you know, a few years ago, yeah. which is like that wonderful savoury kind of soy saucy kind of, yes. you know, deep savoury flavour. Um, then there's sour, which you get from lemon or vinegar. And there's salt, obviously, from a soy sauce or salt or miso. And then there's sweet, you know, which you get from fruit or... Um, a reduction of fruit or even tomatoes in a recipe could give you the sweetness. So if you balance those, whenever you're tasting a dish you've made, you think, what's missing? What can I taste? Can I taste salt? Can I taste sweet? Can I taste? And if you put the other one in you haven't got, you've nailed it and it'll taste amazing. Um, and just start and with yeah. small amounts. <laughs> like, oh, yes, just a little bit. Yeah, just a tiny bit. And keep tasting. Of the thing. So don't yeah. just glug, glug, glug. I think yeah. that... So, you know, people, my mum will be like, let's just put all of it in. You're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. It's it is, ba- it is balancing. <laughs> they have to balance. They have to balance. And then it, that's why things taste good to us because it fires all those taste buds at the same time. And those are the foods that you really enjoy. That's when it's got all those tastes in it. So, yeah, I love that. That's, yeah, I loved it when I found that out. And that's made a big difference to my cooking. I learned that off MasterChef. But, oh, did now, you? <laughs> but now I can't watch MasterChef because it's just, I hate when they say protein. See, I still love MasterChef. I still love watching MasterChef. For some reason, I managed to kind of put to one side all the stuff that they're cooking with. Apart <laughs> from that, there was one recently where it was all just meat, which annoys me. They have to call protein these days. I can't call it meat anymore. It has to be called protein, which is hilarious. Very clever marketing by the meat industry. That was very clever. But I can still look at the talent. I can still see the talent in the people, and that's why I watch it because there's some amazing young people. Making amazing food. They are. And that sort of inspires me. I think it's incredible, let alone what they're cooking. I just think that I, mean, I admire creativity, I suppose, and I watch it. And my whole thing lately is trying to make it easy because, you know, since I went back to working full time, I don't have the time and I've missed that time of, you know, spending all day making something. Um, and now I've got to literally pull a meal together in an hour when I get home. And so I'm now I'm obsessed with my pressure cooker and different ways of making things just as tasty without, you know, browning the onion first and adding the garlic and all those steps you have to do, um, which you actually don't a lot of the time. You know, I've, a lot of the things I know, I literally, my pressure cooker, you chuck everything in at once, put in the liquid, close the lid, and 15 minutes later you've got dinner. Um, and I love that. That's I find that very exciting. <laughs> um, doesn't have doesn't have to be difficult, and especially if you're not a cook and you don't like cooking, you don't have to like cooking. You can find 10 recipes that you can just chuck in the pressure cooker or in a pan or in a, in a casserole dish or whatever, and you can make delicious food. It hasn't got to be hard. 
Yeah, I've got a slow cooker. And yeah, the morning, good, just before mm. school, just dumping it all in, yeah. getting home it? and, and it's, it's exciting. done. It you is. come home and it smells amazing. And the whole house ma- smells of like, you know, red lentil curry or whatever yeah, you've made. Yeah, it's great. It's so yeah. good. I love this. Yeah, my rice cooker and my pressure cooker are pretty much on the bench top all the time, um, especially on weeknights. Um, and they're great for just for making like big batch of potatoes as well and sticking them in the fridge for snacks and um, cooking beans and freezing them and yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with meal planning and and shortcuts, making my shopping list and yeah, shortcuts and like using boiling water in your rice cooker and your and your pressure cooker rather than basically to boiling the water. You're doing really is boiling the water in your appliance to start yeah. with, which is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, start with boiling water; <laughs> it's a really good idea. Um, yeah, shortcuts like that. So I love I love that kind of thing. Finding quick and easy, delicious things to make that are, don't take ages, um, and fresh herbs are huge too. You know, people don't use enough. You just double the amount. It says says a quarter of a cup of basil, and you think, nah, that's not enough. I need a cup. <laughs> um, just make it. You know, if you're going to taste it, really taste it, because fresh herbs can make a, di- a dish fantastic. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, that's my they're that's really, my two cents. They're really good tips. And now onto your three tips. Oh gosh. Okay. If you're just starting out, I would say rather than trying to reinvent the wheel, I'd say what does your family and I presume we're talking about a family here, so I'd say find the things your kids and your whole family likes to eat now and find versions of them. Search online for versions of the things they already like. Because there'll be familiar flavours already. So find those. Um, like if they love tacos, make a taco mince with lentils and mushrooms and quinoa and walnuts. Really good. Um, my kids love that. Um, you're still serving it with salsa and sliced avocado on the top, so it's still familiar to them. And you can put some hummus instead of sour cream, or you can make a tofu sour cream with lemon juice and silken tofu. You know, when it's all together eaten as one, you don't really notice those things. Um, so I'd say find familiar dishes and just adapt. Um, I'd say don't rush if you don't feel you need to rush into it. Do it bit by bit if you can't give everything up at once. Do one thing, give up cheese. Stop buying cheese, I think is the number one thing I'd say. Yeah. Stop buying cheese mm. and, and say so you can have it when you go out. Make that rule because then you don't panic and you don't worry. You think, oh, I'll never eat it again. Um, tell yourself you can have it when you go out. And within within a short time, you won't be wanting it anymore. Number three, gosh, it's number three. Read, read all the books you can on the science of why you're doing this. Because it's not, and you know, moral reasons are fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but if you know that this is the way we're meant to eat, you know you're doing it right. You know this is this is our natural diet. Um, I think Dr. Michael Clappers. I just listened to his interview with um, Chef AJ and. He said, no, it wasn't. It was on the Plant Yourself podcast with Howard Jacobson, which I love. He said, um, eating the wrong diet is like putting diesel fuel in a petrol engine car. Um, it'll work for a little time until it won't work anymore. And you've got all this health, you know, everything we're doing, all the healthy look around, all the health issues we have, are it's, it's the wrong fuel, eating the wrong fuel. So once you know you're on the right track, just read all the signs you can. You know, prevent and reverse heart disease, how not to die. Just read all the books and it, 
you just know you're doing the right thing. And that's very inspiring. It's very motivating to continue. I was going to ask you the books. So I was glad that you said the two books. So Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease by Dr. Esselstyn. Yeah. And How Not to Die, Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. And, and Hole that I mentioned earlier. That's oh, probably yes. my favourite. That's Hole one by I Dr. haven't got. So now that's I have to get book. it. Mm. And you can listen to the audiobook of that as well. Your audible book of that is fantastic. Maybe I will um, listen to the audiobook of yeah, that. Yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. So arm yourself with all the all the information you need. Yes. Yeah. And, that, and watch all the movies, of course. All the movies are great. Watch know. all eat, the eat, movies. You know, Forks Over Knives, Eating You Alive, um, What the Health. And there's more coming out this year. I think there's one com- coming out very soon called The Game Changers. Um, I'm so excited for that. I may Which is James myself. Cameron. Um, yes. So that's going to be amazing. And I think what's going to happen now, we're going to get a lot more plant-based and vegan people in positions of power or authority or people like, you know, musicians and actors. And, you know, we've already got several, but that's going to increase. Uh, and they influence people. People listen to them. Yeah, we're on the we're beginning of a tidal wave here. It's just starting. It's very, it's very exciting to be doing this right now because it's about to go massive. And it's very exciting. It is very. I'm super excited. Um, just to mention, because I just looked it up, that book I've mentioned before, it's called Staying Positive in a Fucked Up World by Ash oh, cool. Nayate. Okay, cool. Um, and it's a beautiful book. Well, I've been gifted it. I haven't actually read it, but she's just shown us chapters of it and bits of it in her talks. And it's very nice if you're a vegan and you're finding it emotionally hard which it can be emotionally hard to be a vegan in a non-vegan world it sounds like um Claire Mann's book a yeah, little isn't Vistopia? it but her, her new book too yeah i probably have got crossover Vist- is it dystopia dystopia Vist- about yeah. how to cope with the mental anguish Anguish, yes. Anguish. Good word. Ongoing yeah. anguish. Um, yes, both a great. Claire Mann was on the show before too, and so is Ash. But um, yes. they both. Yes, I met I met Claire Mann finally at the um, the nutrition health conference when Dr. Michael Crapper was talking. She, did you come that's to that? Where I met her. Yeah, yeah but you yeah, met her probably yeah. in the Sydney. I, I did the Sydney one. You were in the Melbourne, Melbourne one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and her great. book sounds. I haven't read it. It sounds amazing, and so does Ash's. So I'm excited to read both their books, and I love the work that they're doing spreading. This message in a different, in a very different way, which is great. We need more different. We need all the. Absolutely. We need all to come together. It doesn't normally be the top fight between veganism and hog food plant based because we all want the same thing. Yeah, we um, all do. And you need to do it. We need to do it for all the reasons there are. Yeah, the health, the planet, um, the animals. Yeah, because they all join together. They do. Don't they need do. to be fighting each other. Yeah. They do. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's okay. Thanks for having me. It was it was it was fun. Thank you so much, Deb, for coming on the show. I loved having you. You gave me so many great tips. I've been already been using them with my own kids, Iggy and Theo, and just it has really helped me to transform dinner and make it a more joyful experience for everyone involved. So thank you so much for that. Thank you all for listening. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. And if you could leave a five-star rating and a kind review on iTunes, it would really, really, really help me because it helps this podcast rank higher in the iTunes search ranking, which means that more people around the world can hear these messages of hope and hopefully make the transition to a whole food plant-based diet, which will be so much better for their health and well-being 
and also better for the animals and the planet, which is my mission for this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. And also you can follow this podcast, listen to this podcast, obviously on Stitcher app, and you can find it at my website, www.corinneninja.com and go to the podcast section of the website to listen to it there. All the links and the show notes are over there. And if you want to leave a comment over there, all the episodes have a comment section. You can leave a comment and I will respond or Deb will respond or whoever's episode you're listening to, they will respond. If you write a comment and have a question or have a question or you're like, oh, what about this? Head over to the website, www.corinneninja, which is C-O-R-I-N-N-E-N-I-J-J-E-R.com. And yeah, leave a comment or if you have a question or you want to ask whatever, you can ask it over there. I would love to hear from you and we'll definitely get back to you as soon as I can. And if you haven't yet followed the or liked the When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan Facebook page, I put you know new guests information there, updates, latest episodes, everything goes onto that Facebook page. If you want to get all the latest details about who's coming up on the show, that's the place to find out about all that stuff. Next week, we have a incredible lupus story with the wonderful Marie Zeal. It's not to be missed and I hope that you enjoy it. So if you have anyone out there in your family that has lupus, definitely next week's episode is worth checking out. But if not, it's worth checking out anyway because it's a debilitating chronic disease which takes and takes and takes and takes and takes from people's lives. And this just goes to show, like, if it can work for lupus, I'm probably sure it can work for, you know, so many other diseases. So worth checking out. Uh, I can't wait to see you next week. Episode number four. 40, which is so exciting. Thank you all so much for supporting this podcast. I'll see you all next week. Bye.